there's another trumpet for the second coming. And it's called a great trumpet. And some take the last trumpet of 1 Corinthians 15 and they mix it with the great trumpet for the second coming. And they conclude, therefore, that the Christians will be here for the seven-year period known as the great tribulation period. But they are mixing up trumpets. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church of Beaufort, South Carolina. In our study of the Revelation, we've spent the past few weeks looking at the judgments that befall the earth following the rapture of the church. We noted these judgments come in three groups of seven, and we've been looking at the first group, the seal judgments. These have all taken place as a scroll is unraveled. As we move into chapter 8, we find the seventh seal ushers in the next set of judgments, the trumpet judgments. But these are preceded by a half hour of silence. Our message is entitled, When Heaven Goes Silent, and covers verses 1 and 2. And as we pick up, Dr. Brogy is comparing and contrasting what is known as the Olivet Discourse, found in Matthew chapter 24, and the events of the tribulation as we've noted so far. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will mislead many. And so is this chart... Uh, exemplifies. This is a picture of the first seal. So you might want to write out in the margin next to this verse, Revelation 6, 1 and 2. The first seal is broken. The rider and the white horse comes because at the start of the 70th week of Daniel's prophecy, with the church gone, there's going to be all kinds of false messiahs, but the epitome of all the false messiahs will be the coming Antichrist, whom John is going to reveal to us when we come to the 13th chapter. So the first horseman, a white horse, is seen. He's the Antichrist. Look at verse 6. You will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not frightened, for those things must take place, but that is not yet the end. Right next to verse 6, write Revelation 6, 3 and 4. Next to verse 6, write Revelation 6, verses 3 and 4. This is the second seal. This is the rider on the red horse, which will bring unparalleled wars across the globe, so much so that the rumor on everyone's lips is yet talk of another war. Then the Lord moves to the third seal in Matthew 24 and verse 7, when he describes the horrors of famine. And in various places, there will be famine. Right out next to that verse, Revelation 6, verses 5 and 6. Revelation 6, 5 and 6. That's the black horse of famine and the hunger that he brings. Then comes the fourth horseman of the apocalypse, who comes on an ashen or a pale horse, which represents worldwide pestilence and death. And the fourth seal corresponds to Christ's earlier promise recorded both here and in Luke's gospel, referring to a time of death that will come by earthquakes, followed by pestilence and disease. And so let me read it to you. And in various places, there will be earthquakes. That's verse 7, verse 8. But all these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs, right out next to the end of verse 7 and 8, Revelation 6, 7 and 8. Now, the birth pangs are not here, and so you will hear Christians say, well, the number of earthquakes, they're increasing, and the number of famines, they're growing, and, and are, is there any significance to that? And they'll call those the birth pangs. Those aren't the birth pangs. 
Now, I think there's significance to them and that it alerts us to the fact that uh, there's a pregnancy that's real. And maybe we're getting to the end of the term, but the birth pangs don't begin, according to Jesus, until the church is removed. They happen during the 70th week of Daniel's prophecy. And so here in the fifth seal, Matthew 24, verses 9 and 10, then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you, and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. At that time, many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. That, by the way, is exactly what we read in Revelation chapter 6. And then if you look at verse 13, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. So next to verses 9 and 10, write Revelation 6, 9 through 11. Revelation 6, 9 through 11. The persecution that Jesus speaks of here in the first half of the tribulation, and he's going to divide it into two halves. We're going to see in a moment. There's an event that takes place that divides the two halves. The persecution that he describes is identical to what we saw with the fifth seal in Revelation chapter 6. Untold of persecution. But if you read the sixth chapter as we studied it, we saw that these tribulation saints maintained their testimony. That is, they didn't renounce Jesus, and it cost most of them their heads. They're beheaded. And we are seeing a beheading taking place in our day by the Muslims against Christians. That's going to be widespread across the planet. People thought that that was done and over and archaic and gone with the French Revolution, but it's back and the Muslims are doing it, and you're going to see it across the planet of, on everyone who confesses Jesus as Lord and refuses to give allegiance to the Antichrist. But their testimony will be maintained, and so Jesus said, the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. You're not saved by perseverance, but if you are saved, you will persevere. That is a sign that your conversion is genuine. You will never, ever renounce Christ. Then in the sixth seal, Jesus doesn't directly mention it here at this part of the Olivet Discourse. It talks about the sun being darkened and the moon becoming like blood and the stars falling to the earth. And I think there's a reason he doesn't mention it, though he does mention it in a general way in Luke's version of the Olivet Discourse, and that he says in this section, there will be terrors and great signs in the heavens. But I think he wants to distinguish what is happening in the heavenly realm in terms of the moon and the sun and the stars, which will happen again during the trumpet judgments from the final expression of the sun going super dark, the stars falling from heaven, the moon turning blood that happens just before his second coming. All right, stay with me now, Matthew 24 and verse 14. Jesus said, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. Right next to verse 14, Revelation chapter 7. Just put next to verse 14, Revelation 7. Sometimes we hear of Christians saying that Jesus cannot come back until the gospel is taken to the entire world. That's not true for the rapture. Prophetically, nothing ever has needed to take place for Jesus to come back. He could have come back a week after Pentecost if he wanted. 
All kinds of prophecy needs to unfold for the second coming to take place. It is significant that we're bringing the gospel and putting in uh, people's native tongues, the Bible, to more and more places. But really, in the fullest sense, this prophecy will be fulfilled during the tribulation period through Revelation 7's picture of 144,000 Jewish men preaching the gospel to people across the planet and their converts in turn and people from every tribe, tongue, and nation who are saved. Now, the next thing on your chart, which is new, is here you see the A of D, that's the abomination of desolation, moving the tribulation period from tribulation to great tribulation. So here's a picture of it. The first half is called tribulation. The second half is called great tribulation. And what moves us from tribulation to great tribulation, though sometimes we call the whole thing the great tribulation period. Well, if you want to do that, then call the second half the greater, greater tribulation period, all right? But what happens in the middle? The abomination of desolation here in verse Verse 15, right next to Matthew 24, 15, just write Revelation 8, because this is the timing of the trumpet judgments and follow. The trumpet and bold judgments happen in the second half of the tribulation. And there's an event that Matthew, that Daniel says is right in the middle of the 70th week, right in the middle of this seven-year period that Jesus quotes Daniel as having said that will trigger these events to come. Let me read it to you. Verse 15. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, for then there will be a great tribulation such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. Right in the middle, this event takes place. So you ask, is there an event that triggers the 30 minutes of silence in heaven? Yes, the abomination of desolation. And it's at that point that the seventh seal is broken, the seven trumpets and the seven bold judgments are revealed, and it just takes people's breath away. There's silence. There's awe in heaven over what is about to take place, for then there will be great tribulation since has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now. That's Revelation 8 through 18. And of course, if you want to write another verse next to verse 30, the second coming of Christ, you can write Revelation 19, and that will be the final darkening of the sun and the moon and so forth, all right? So this is an amazing change that is happening here. We've studied in, in, in Revelation uh, 7, all of heaven singing this great chorus of praise, and we've seen the people in chapter 4 saying, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, and we've heard this strong angel's voice, and we've heard the people crying out, how long, O Lord? But now there's dead silence. That's incredible. That's the first point, the unusual experience of silence. Secondly, We've underscored the, the second point, the cause of this underlying silence. The third point, the tribulation during this silence. The tribulation during this silence. Look at verse 2. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. 
Now, if you took my course on angels, we divided it into two halves, angels for us, dealing with holy angels, and angels against us, dealing with fallen angels. But in both cases, we saw that angels are ranked and organized on both sides, and we've already seen that. We've seen, for instance, the four living creatures. They're a high order of angelic beings that the prophet Ezekiel calls cherubim. We're going to see here a special group of these seven angels who, who stand before God. And notice it says, and I saw these seven angels. He didn't say, I saw seven angels. I saw these seven angels. And when God uses the article in Greek, it's never wasted. It's for a purpose. Now, I know some languages like the Slavic languages don't have the article. But it's there in Greek and it's there in English. It's what we teach our children. It's the pointing word. The word the is the pointing word. Give me a pen. You can give me any pen you want. Give me the pen. You know, I have a specific man in my mind. These are these seven angels and they are standing and it is a Greek participle. You say, oh, that blesses me. It, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a verbal of sorts. That means they've been standing there for a long, 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 long time. Same kind of word that's used to describe Gabriel when he comes to Mary and he says, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. So here are these seven angels who have been standing in the presence of God. Some think they're archangels and some will preach this passage. You know, they'll talk about the seven archangels. Well, there's actually in the Bible only one that is called an archangel, but there could be more. Who is he? Michael. Michael the archangel. Maybe Gabriel's an archangel. In Jewish theology, uh, tradition says, for what it's worth, but many of the Jewish traditions came into the scriptures because God put his stamp of approval on them. They believe there are seven archangels. And if you're a Roman Catholic or from the uh, Greek Orthodox faith or Romanian Orthodox or one of those branches, they actually have the seven archangels named, including Michael and Gabriel. I don't know if they're archangels, but I do know they are a high order of angels who are ready to blow their trumpets. Now, remember in Scripture, we've seen some trumpets up here. Some of these guys are just, and gals are unbelievable. And when they blow these horns on Sunday morning, and we typically think of trumpets in terms of music, but in the Bible, while there was a musical expression to trumpets, trumpets were generally sounded in order to announce that God was getting ready to do something or asking his people to do something. And so on this next chart, as you can see, there were trumpets that were sounded that would call people to work or to end their work, like in the book of Leviticus chapter 23. If you go to Numbers chapter 10, there are trumpets that would call people to worship. If you happen to be in Jerusalem on a Friday evening when sunset officially is declared, you will hear all across the city shofars being blown. They are calling the people to worship that the Sabbath has begun. In Ezekiel chapter 33, there's a trumpet of warning. Remember the man on the watch there on the wall, and he failed to warn the people by sounding the trumpet. And then God had trumpets that would call people to war or out of war. It calls them to war, like in Judges 3, or calls them out of war, like in 2 Samuel chapter 2. Well, as Christians, we are waiting for a very special trumpet that is associated with the rapture. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 
It's called the trumpet of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, another great raptured passage, it's called the last trumpet. And those are two trumpet passages for the church. And like the Jews in the Apostle Paul's day, the Romans also referred to a first trumpet and a last trumpet. Josephus tells us that in his work called The War of the Jews. And he distinguished the two, and he said the last trumpet had a different sound, a deeper sound, and it would call the people from war. We are waiting for the last trumpet to be sounded. Now, this is important. We'll study it in further detail later on. There's another trumpet for the second coming. And it's called a great trumpet. And some take the last trumpet of 1 Corinthians 15, and they mix it with the great trumpet for the second coming, and they conclude, therefore, that the Christians will be here for the seven-year period known as the great tribulation period. But they are mixing up trumpets. Not to mention the trumpet called the great trumpet is not the last trumpet that sounded in Scripture. Because all the way through the millennial reign of Messiah, there will be trumpets that are sounded. But understand how the Corinthians would have understood the last trumpet. He's not writing there to Jews. He's writing primarily to Greeks, to Gentiles. And in their mentality, the trumpets largely had application as it related to war. And so, for instance, he has just stated in 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 8, for, the for if the bugle produces an indistinct sound, who will prepare himself for battle? Now, he's making an analogy but he uses an illustration of their day concerning the gift of tongues. If someone speaks in a tongue and no one can interpret it, it's a bunch of gibberish. It helps no one. It edifies zero. Likewise, he said, if someone blows a trumpet, but it's not sounding the right note, calling you to the right thing, it doesn't mean anything. And so he is recognizing, without having to explain it, how Greeks and Gentiles thought that there were trumpets that were calling you to war, and there were trumpets, the last trumpet, that called you from the war. And that's the trumpet we are waiting for. We are in a war. We are in a spiritual battle. But one of these days, God is going to sound the last trumpet, and he's going to catch up the church. The trumpet was also used by Romans to call the first guard uh, to come and watch and stand at the wall. And then another trumpet, the last trumpet, was sounded to call another guard to take his place. And so we are in that time of watching. Jesus said, watch out and beware of the leaven, of the teaching of the Pharisees. He said, keep watching and pray that you might not enter into temptation. He said in Luke's gospel, watch out that the light is in you and that darkness will not overtake you. John wrote, watch your that you may not lose what you have accomplished. So right now we are watching, but when the last trumpet of God is sounded, praise the Lord, we will no longer watch, we'll be carried to heaven, and we will be taken out of this battleground called planet Earth. So God is involved in the affairs of men and nations, and very often in both Jewish and Greek culture, trumpets highlighted something that God was about to do. And so these seven angels who stand before God are given seven trumpets and they are about ready to blow them. But you'll have to come back next week to find out what they're going to sound. All right. Now, so how are we going to apply this? You know, this is interesting, you say, and I took a lot of time. This is foundational to where we're going. And if you don't have a handle on this, it's going to be difficult to understand then chapters eight and nine. So if you didn't get it all, go back and listen again at searchthescriptures.org or whatever you need to do. 
But how are we going to apply this? This is not just information for information's sake. God says if you will read it, hear it with understanding, and then apply it, you will be blessed. So let me make three applications via questions. Number one, how do you view the tribulation judgments? How do you view the tribulation judgments? A series of 21 judgments, seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls. How do you look at them? I want you to know that you should see them both as an expression of God's righteousness, but also as an expression of God's mercy. Remember, one of the functions of the tribulation period is to bring people to real faith in Jesus. So we saw in the first six seal judgments, 144,000 people preaching across the planet and people compared to the sands of the seashore that no one can count are saved during this time. And that's one thing that natural disasters do sometimes, don't they? You know, I don't know how some of the people in California responded last week, but those mudslides came down with all those rocks. And I imagine some may have cursed God and swore, and maybe others called upon Him for salvation. God often uses heartache. There are no unbelievers, so to speak, in a foxhole, right? God often uses heartache to get people's attention. And one of the functions of the tribulation is not just to bring the Jews to acknowledge Jesus as Lord, but also Gentiles from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And God will use it in a good way. It will be kind of a last wake-up call. People are going to be saying, what's happening? Where is the world going? People were in total panic yesterday in Hawaii, weren't they? Total panic. What's happening? What are we going to do? All these Christians, they're gone. And some will believe and come to genuine faith. You know, I was on a flight once from North Carolina to go to speak in Dallas, and, and we'd been up in the air a short time, and the pilot came on. He said, we need to make an emergency landing in Greensboro, North Carolina. It was a Piedmont flight. They are now USA, our US Air. Um, and I'm telling you, people started pulling out those cards and reading them. Now, I didn't give any attention to that dear lady up there in the front when she gave us instructions at the beginning. Not many people were listening. But I'm telling you, when the pilot said, we need to make an emergency landing, the cards came out. People were resting on every word that she said. That's one of the functions of the tribulation period. God will have their attention. Second question by way of application. Are you waiting for the tribulation period to get saved? Are you waiting for the time of this tribulation to get saved? You know, some people realize, they, they think, well, I've got some oats to, to sow and some fun to have. And if this happens like you say it will, Brother Brogy, then I'll get my heart right and I'll give my life to Jesus. That's a very foolish way to think for four reasons. Number one, it's entirely possible that you could die before this day is over. I was on the 13th floor of the University of North Carolina in a dorm room. Tom Rotolo, who's a pastor, Claude, who worked for the President of the United States as his right-hand man, and a third guy were all in the room. I shared the gospel, and two of those guys, Claude and Tom, received Christ. And this last roommate did not. And a few days later, they call me, and they say, Carl, our roommate, he's dead. He's dead. I mean, just 18, 19 years old. None of us have the promise that we will be alive. We are one breath away from eternity. 
And listen, it is very foolish to play Russian roulette with your soul to think that you have all the time in the world because you may die. And number two, the Spirit of God won't always strive with you. There will come a time when, because you've put him off and put him off and put him off, he'll remove the interest that you have. Number three, we studied it already. Millions and millions of people, according to 2 Thessalonians 2, will believe the lie. See, people who prior to the rapture of the church heard the gospel in clarity and in power will not believe during the tribulation. They won't say, well, my brother was right. He spoke to me about this rapture. Now he's gone. I guess I'll give my heart to Jesus. Oh, no, Paul said, and with all the deception of wickedness, for those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved, and for this reason, because they did not receive the love of the truth to be saved, God will send upon them a strong delusion, literally the lie, it's articular. We're going to study that lie. He'll send upon them the strong delusion, the lie, that they might believe the lie, that they may all be condemned who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. Look, there's not one shred of evidence that if you've heard the gospel prior to the rapture, that you will give your life to Jesus after the rapture. Not to mention, who would want to become a believer during the tribulation anyway? I mean, it's a horrible time to live upon the earth. Who'd want to give their life to Jesus then? I mean, it would be better to do that than to spend an eternity with them, but I don't want to be here for that time. And fourth... Jesus wants you to become a Christian today because he has a plan for your life. The thief, the evil one, comes only to kill and to destroy and to steal. But Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Christianity is not just saying, get right with God because you might die. That's only half the message. But get right with God so that you can live. And I mean really, really live. There's no greater joy than knowing the Lord Jesus. Third and finally, what trumpet will you hear when it is sounded? What trumpet are you going to hear? God is setting the stage for the second coming. No prophecy since the church was born ever has needed to be fulfilled for the last trumpet, the trumpet of the Lord to sound to come and capture his church. But what is amazing is how God in our lifetime is fulfilling prophecy, reminding us that the rapture is that much closer. So if it happens soon, there'll be one of two trumpets. You will either hear the trump of God that will carry you to heaven, or you will hear these trumpets that we're going to study in the eighth chapter that will bring unparalleled wrath upon the world that brought total silence to the residents of heaven. So we have to choose. There's no neutral ground. Holy Father, thank you today for what you've given us here in your word. Thank you that you promised us that if we would read it and hear it with understanding you told us that we're to study and show ourselves approved. We're not to be lazy. We're to spend our time studying the Scriptures, among other things. And then if we would obey it and apply it, that you would, in a unique and special way, bless us. So I thank you for the blessing of the revelation. And I pray today for someone who knows you as Lord, who's unashamed to confess you, that together we might be faithful in warning people 
of the wrath that is going to come. Help us to see people the way you see them. Help us to be like the Lord Jesus who came to seek and to save that which is lost. You promised that if we would follow you, that you would make us fishers of men. And Father, for those in the sound of my voice who are unsure that heaven is really their home because they've never rested, believed on, trusted, put their full confidence in the gift of God, which is eternal life through Christ. They've never trusted his death and resurrection. Help them today to come to Jesus, to say, Lord Jesus, save me. Father, we recognize this is absolute folly and poppycock or it's absolute truth. These things are either a fantasy or they will happen just as you said. Thank you that through a new birth, we have eyes to see. Give us wills to respond. We ask in Jesus' holy name, amen. To listen again to today's message, use the Search the Scriptures app for smartphones and tablets or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. You can also order a CD or DVD by calling 877-787-7478 and requesting program REV21. Search the Scriptures is made possible through the prayers and financial support of people like you. Join us again tomorrow as we begin a look at the trumpet judgments and search the Scriptures.